Hey there, we're so glad you tuned in today. We would love to hear how God is using this podcast to encourage you. You can do so by visiting our website at wearefreedomlife.com. Welcome to Freedom. So this morning, I wanted to talk with you guys about something that has everything to do with everyone in this room. I want to talk to you about first response, but specifically, I want to talk to you about God's response to pain. God's response to pain. Now, there are a few passages in scripture that showcase and help us define the character of God. We look at that throughout scriptures. We can look at the Old Testament, we can look at the New Testament, and different snapshots of the character of God is in there. How many ever read something in scripture and you said to yourself, wow, I never quite seen God that way? You ever read something in scripture? Maybe when you were a kid, you, you know, you watched David and Goliath, you know, stories at Sunday school or something, you said, wow, God protects the little guy right? God is for the little guy. doesn't matter how big you are, right? I cherished that story as a young boy. It's always with the little guy, you know? Not always. Hopefully you know Jesus. Never mind. Okay, so we realize that, that God, is not, uh, God is not in this business of just, hey, you know, you're equipped. Let me use you. God will use those who have decided that he is priority, and God will use them to change the world. But not only that, God puts his character and infuses his character into our lives so that we can be more like him because being more like him is what allows us to be overcomers. Being more like him is what allows us to be um, the, the, the solid, impactful believers he's called us to become. The Bible is constant in teaching us how to help people that go through pain. If you're in this room and you've gone through pain, you know what it feels like. Pain hurts, right? I got one amen. I got a baby said an amen back there. That's, that's an interpretation. But one of these clear passages is found in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, we use them here. And turn there to Luke chapter 10 where a man is on the side of the road. And some of you are like, oh, I know what this passage is. Bear with me for a few moments. It may be familiar to you, but... As we talk about God's response to pain, we look at Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And we look at a story that Jesus brought. So many people fall short on not caring for their neighbor. This is something that everyone in this room, including myself, has struggled with from time to time. We are inherently selfish. But we don't have to pick that up from our parents. We are naturally selfish. We are naturally selfish and there's a side of us that wants to thrive, but that, that side of us has to be activated. Make no mistake, God is always first on the scene when you have pain in your life. But guess what? I want to make it very clear. He uses us as vessels of his love, of his mercy and of his grace and I don't listen I'm not going to try to attempt to answer why is there pain on this earth okay that's too big to tackle on one message I will say this that God does not create all the pain that we have in our world today God does not create 
all the pain that is in the world today. Some of it is man, some of it is free will and the response of it. Some of it is just plain stinky life. Sometimes life just hands you a bad card and you have to learn how to roll with it and trust that God will work something out. I'm reminded of my own faults and failures to respond to someone in pain just this past week. I had the privilege of, of going and visiting. My wife and I got the privilege of, jo- of going to uh, joining a tour to tour the Colosseum in Rome where the gladiators fought and where Christians uh, were persecuted and where all these things took place. I was in the Colosseum as I walked around in absolute awe of what I was looking at. A temple made by human hands. This temple, this building, this Colosseum was so massive. I remember when my wife and I were uh, we were uh, turning a corner and we saw this Colosseum for the first time. I, I could not help but just like, almost like be taken back by it. And that Got a chance to view it. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So we went, started our tour, and we went inside, and we begin to go down these very steep steps. Now, these steps are not like, you know, up to code. Hello? <laughs> steps in Roman history is not up to code. All right? There's not like six inches, this many inches, must be. These are people that built it with their hands and stone, right? So they were real, much smaller steps, real steep. And going down the steps is very tricky and very painful after a while. Felt like I was, I walked, like I walked up the Statue of Liberty for crying out loud, up the steps myself. But there were times as I was going down that I got tired. And then there was a portion of the tour that we got a chance to see a lot of amazing things that I don't have time to go into. But then a part of the tour, we worked our way back up the steps. And these steps were just as bad going up, if not worse, going up these steps than they were going down. I went up this first slide, of, uh, 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 this first part of the steps, and, and as I turned the corner and I began to go up the second set of steps, uh, about halfway up, there was a gentleman that just could not go any further. He was there, and uh, he was at... It was a, there was a break between one set of steps and then there was a landing and then there was another set of steps. He was right at the top of the first one and it seems like he could not go any further. Um, he was there, he's uh, trying to figure it and he's at that final step and it, I wasn't sure what was going on but our tour guide was way ahead of us at this point. She was already at the top, a bunch of people were at the top, I was at the tail end, um, I had my wife go in front of me and as we were walking up, I, I saw him and I... I didn't know what to do because we're on a tour, right? And so I'm walking up and I'm looking at him and I'm looking at the tour guide and I'm looking at him and she, you know, she's up there and I'm down here and I'm trying to figure this thing out. And so I walked up the steps to the top and all the while thinking to myself, somebody needs to help him. I got to the top of the steps and I looked down and I, part of me looked and said, was he just trying to sit and rest so that he could make the rest of the steps? Was he trying to work his way back down because he couldn't finish it? I don't know what was happening, but I know at the top of the steps, I felt this conviction like I should have stopped. One of the guys that was on our tour um, just stopped immediately and went right back down, went back to the landing pad and asked the gentleman, 
do you need help? His wife came back down. Uh, the gentleman that was in need of help came back down. And uh, it turns out that he, he was just going to sit there and rest so he could finish the rest of the tour. But I thought to myself, I questioned at the moment, instead of just stopping right there, right then, to help this man, I was concerned about where I needed to go. And I thought to myself, I am living Luke 10 at this moment. I felt a little bit ashamed. I felt a little bit, um, I don't know what the word is, but I felt like I was justified to some degree because he wasn't really trying to get up and he didn't really require any help at that point. But the point was not whether he needed help or not. The point was whether I stopped or not. And that's where I want to really focus on that personal touch in this moment because I want you to realize that there are people every day in our lives that need help and they're not always going to say it. And you're not even, listen, you're not even going to know whether what you say is going to help them or not. But that's not your business. Your business is not to justify yourself. Your business is not to try to rectify whether or not what you say is going to be right. Jesus calls us to be loving to our neighbor, period. Not whether or not you have the right thing to say, not whether or not you will do what's right, but will you respond when there's a need? And I look at this story and I think, man, I've never walked by someone that was in need, and here I am, I just did it. And part of me was ashamed, and part of me tried to say, you know what, well, he didn't really need it up. That's not the point. The point was I walked by him. Here I am, Pastor Tony, checking a place that crucified and, and, and slaughtered Christians, and here I am not acting the way I should have. Can I be transparent for a moment? I think we've all had those moments that we could have helped somebody and maybe didn't. I challenge myself to that, and I hold myself to that. The question is, are we holding ourselves to the standard God has put on us? You see, that tourist at the steps of the Colosseum needed someone to stand with him for just a moment. He needed to get to, his, uh, to, to a seat, to a, a secure place, because there's people by the droves walking up. And he was one of them. But I was so concerned about my tour and getting lost to the crowd and making sure my wife is secure. And you can justify all these things, right? But at the end of the day, I didn't stop. And it brings us to Luke chapter 10. And at this point, on one occasion, verse 25, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself, he responded. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Not, not so much live like you will die if you don't, but you will have a life in you. You will understand what it means to live this life. When you help people that can't help themselves, there's a life that enters you and you realize your purpose. How many realize that Christians are not called to be like the world? 
We're called to live life more abundantly, right? And so what he's saying here is you will live, you will have more life than you've ever imagined. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, and who is my neighbor then? And in reply, Jesus said, verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him what? Half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. Listen, he didn't just pass him. He went to the other side. Mind you, I, I just want to, just for the record, I didn't go to the other side. I feel a little better, better, but not really. Verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And when he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Looking after him, he said, and when I return, look after him, he said rather, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And here's the last few verses. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him these words, go and do likewise there's some lessons that I I learned not just in and of myself but this passage has taught me a few things about being a good person in this case it was a Samaritan and that's an important element that I'll get to in a moment this is not a parable of the good person it's a parable of the good Samaritan as it's labeled in a lot of places but here's what I wanted to share with you, a few thoughts here this morning. Four simple thoughts, but profound thoughts when it deals with God and pain. Listen to me. I want, to, I want you to know something. God's response to pain is you. God's response to pain is you and me. God's response to pain is us being an extension of his love, an extension of his grace. That is our job. That is our assignment. So here are some thoughts that I want to share with you, and here are four of them. Number one, the good Samaritan was willing to get involved. If you're taking notes, write this down. The good Samaritan was willing to get involved. He didn't just see it. He was willing to to involve himself. Is that right? We look at things throughout life and we can choose to say, I'm not going to get involved. And listen, I'm a, a native of New York and I learned at an early age some things you don't put your nose in. There's just certain things you don't put your nose in. And that was a hard thing when I became a Christian because all of a sudden I'm being told by everything that I know growing up, mind your business. Right? Mind your business. In the city, mind your business. But then as a believer, I'm being told everybody is your business. 
And then parts, other parts of the city, everybody's in your business. But that's a whole other message. That's another message. But the truth is that we're taught to mind our business when the scripture tells us everybody is our business. Right? And that's not easy to adjust so quickly. We may quote scripture and recite platitudes. We may love God, go to church. But unless we're willing to get involved, we are all blowing smoke. These men and women that we honor today, there are people that made a choice to be involved in other people's lives. And there's so many within our community that actively get involved in people's lives and put themselves in danger even for our sake. And for that, we at Freedom appreciate those who do that. The Samaritan treated and bandaged the wounds. He set the injured man on his donkey, took him to an inn, and he cared for them. See, the Samaritan could have done many things. The Samaritan could have said, not my relation, not my business. Right? The Samaritan could have said, let someone else handle it. And we've all been tempted with the let someone else handle it business. Hello? That every one of us, listen, there's not a one in this room that has not said to yourself, that you've not told yourself, let somebody else do it. I clocked out already. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? You punch out of work and you see something he's done. You're like, <laughs> now. If it's here when I get back on my shift, y'all laughing because you know what I'm talking about. That's what it is. Y'all laughing out of guilt. You're laughing out of guilt because we've all been there. But we said, whew, it's over. And so, oh, that didn't get put away. Not my business. Out the door. We've been there. We've all been there. But we realize in our lives, there are some things that are made our business. All the scripture tells us to have compassion. Jesus showed us to have compassion. It is not enough to say you believe and walk by people that are in need. I walked by this man and I felt bad every step I took up those steps. Very steep steps. When I got to the top, I realized I walked by a man who needed help. How many times have you walked by someone that needed help? Listen, here's what I know to be true. Sometimes you don't know what to say. Yes? I've been there many a times. I don't know what to say. But here's what I can say. I'm so sorry you're going through what you're going through. It takes no knowledge, no wisdom, no experience to say that. How many know that's true? Uh, the good Samaritan was willing to get involved. The second thought is this. The good Samaritan ignored the racism that was very real on that day. Even though he was considered a despised Samaritan by some people's standards, like the woman at the well. The Samaritan woman at the well. The fact that Jesus sat next to her was a big deal. 
The fact that he offered to ask her to get me a drink, that was a big deal. Samaritans and Jews did not see eye to eye. Listen, friends, it was a race issue. Racism, very real. And the shallowness that was found in that day was still very real. You thought it was just today? Really? I mean, we just read a passage. He's even, the, the passage is even labeled the Good Samaritan. Because as if there are not many of them. Think about it. The good white guy, the good black guy, the good Puerto Rican, the good Rican. If I had done it, maybe, if that was story was about me, maybe it would have been called the good Rican. I don't know. But Jesus was not afraid to issue the very real things that were in the culture, racism. Racism is abolished when kingdom is your priority. Kingdom was the priority, and that was the point Jesus was making. It doesn't matter what race. It was kingdom work. And our souls should not be affected when we see someone uh, in pain just because of their skin color. Uh, our souls have to be affected by pain, not the color or the background that someone has. Jesus' original listeners would have been blown away by the Good Samaritan storyline. Why? Because even the man that Jesus was talking to understood that compassion has no face. Love has grace. Which one of these do you think in this particular situation, Jesus said, was the one that showed the love of God? Now, he didn't say it quite like that, but which one really painted the picture of compassion? Which one really showed what it meant to walk in the light? Here's what I do understand. The expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him. The story highlights the Samaritan who didn't let prejudice stop him. He stopped and cared. Jesus could have easily placed this story in Samaria and been fine. Maybe he would have. But here's what I realized, what Tim Keller once said. He said this. Those that don't know, Tim Keller is a, a pastor in New York. He said this. Tolerance isn't about not having beliefs. It's about how your beliefs lead you to treat people who disagree with you. Hello? You treat people with love and respect because that's what Jesus would have done. Regardless of race, background, or economic status. Are you with me? Tolerance isn't about, having belief, about not having beliefs. It's about your beliefs not affecting your compassion. The good Samaritan ignored race and understood compassion has no face, no color, no economic background. Are you with me? For those of you doing lights, this one's off here. It's a little bit of a shadow. Those of you doing lights. Here's my third thought. 
the good Samaritan, number three, had to make time. How many of you ever were, you ever talk with someone and uh, you ever talk with someone and they said, we have to make time to get together. Or we have to, rather, let's try this. We have to get together sometime. How many ever said that and you never got together with them? Right? We do it all the time. We have to get together. Oh, yeah, we do. Six months later, we have to get together. Oh, yeah, we do. Nine months later, we should get together. Nothing. You know why? Because truthfully, you have to make time for what matters. We say it passing. We say it in passing. We say, we should get together. Yeah, we should get together. And you never do. The good Samaritan didn't say, I'll get to it at some point. The good Samaritan made time right here, right now. Are you with me? So wherever the Samaritan was going to go that day, guess what? He was a little late. Wherever he was going, he was probably a little late. And so what we realize is something this compassion can be a little bit, hmm, what's the word? Inconvenient. Compassion is inconvenient. We look at inconvenience as inconvenient because it's inconvenient. It's profound. Write that down. But we don't like inconvenience because it throws everything off. But guess what? It was never on to begin with. If something crosses your path and God wanted you to help someone, guess what? He can work things out for the good. The good Samaritan had to make time. Not only did he stop and administer first aid to the stranger, watch this, he also traveled with him to an inn, made sure he was secure, stayed with him, did what, and then he said this, I'm going to give you this, take care of him, and whatever I owe you, I'll come back again. A lot of people want to say that money is the root of evil. It's not. Love of it is. This man apparently had extra. Guess what, friends? God may, may want to bless you so that he can pre prepare you to be a blessing to somebody else. God doesn't just give you money for you while he does, and that's okay. God blesses his people. Absolutely, he does. But guess what? Don't be afraid of being a person that is used by God to help others. And that brings me to my fourth point, and it's simply this. The good Samaritan was generous. He was not just generous with his time because we realize that Time is, in, it's so valuable, you can't replace time. How many know that? You can't replace it. You can re replace things, right? You can replace money. You can even get a different job. But nothing or no one can replace time. Time. The good Samaritan was generous. The Samaritan didn't know how long the injured man was going to be laid up, but I'm guessing 
Because the text said that he was half dead, that it could be a prolonged stay. Right? When someone's half dead, it's going to take some time to recover. And at any rate, the well-being of this stranger was more important than this place he was headed. Let me ask you a question. Do you see your life as headed somewhere? Or do you see your life as just whatever happens, happens? I believe God wants you to be headed somewhere. And I don't think that the priest or the Levite were wrong by going somewhere. But what, they, what their heart was in check, look at me now, where their heart was in check was where their neighbors concerned. And as we look and we honor our first responders today, I wanted to take a moment to let them know that their love and generosity with their lives is something we deeply appreciate here at Freedom. Because every day, while this is just a story of one time where one good Samaritan did one thing, and something tells me by how he did this that this is not the first time he's done it. I can't prove that. It's just a thought. But it, w- it seemed like he was well adjusted enough to respond this way. And the question then is posed to each of us is simply this. How does God respond to pain? Well, like I said earlier, first of all, you're his response to pain. There are things that you can say to your neighbor, your friends, your family, and no one else can say to them. You can love people in a way that nobody else can. God has set you up for a wonderful opportunity to be a good Samaritan. See, God is not against wealth. And in fact, the generosity that this man carried, the generosity that he had, was something that we could all mimic. Yes? We can all try. Are you getting quiet on me a little bit? I'm just... Anything, watch this, anything that replaces the love for God or love for man is an idol. God is very clear that he will not have any idols before him. And so I think we're quicker to protect idols before God. But did you forget um, that he also said, love your neighbor as yourself? And that, my friends, is the love of God helping someone through their pain. That includes helping someone through their difficult times. Raise your hand if someone's ever helped you through difficult times. Raise your hand. Someone has helped you through your times. And I want to kind of highlight a story I'd heard about a gentleman by the name of John Wesley. (laughs) Most of you have heard, if not some of you maybe. He spent his life traveling and preaching the gospel. And in fact, John Wesley became so uh, popular that his speaking, his sermons, his books, he began to generate a healthy amount of wealth in his life. Now, here's what you may or may not know about John Wesley, because I sure didn't. When he died, before he died, he estimated that around 1,400 euro, he would live off this small budget, just enough to pay for his immediate expenses in his life, and everything else 
He gave and he gave and he gave it all away. While his books and his sermons and all these things were generating income, he didn't accept it. He put it away and gave it away. He put it away and gave it away till his death in 1791. When he died, listen closely. When he died, he left behind one coat and two silver teaspoons. That's it. That's it. You see, John Wesley decided early on that he could live off of a modest salary per year. And that's what he did. Even when his bank balance grew and grew and grew, he gave it away. He gave it away. To anyone who had need, he gave it away. And he was quoted in saying this. If when I die, I leave behind 10 euro, you and all of mankind can bear witness against me that I have died a thief and a robber. This is a man that could have just said, hey, God blessed me. But he realized one thing, you can't take it with you. But you know what you can take with you? Your legacy. The way that people remember you. And this good Samaritan was a great example of how we as believers must live our lives. Watch this. Helping people in pain. Helping people that can't help themselves. The central message of the story is simply this. If, we're too, if we are to be good neighbors, we have to be more like the Samaritan. Yes, the Samaritan. I am, the implied message is simply this. The implied message is whatever you can do to get more money, then get it. But give it away. If God blesses you, do what you can do with it. But my goodness, realize you can't take it with you can leave a legacy and that's what he did a coat and two silver teaspoons and so my final thought is simply this Jesus concludes this entire passage with this one thought and here it is it says some, says some sums up in just one phrase and it's this go and do likewise Friends, that's exactly the phrase that I want us to go with here today. That we ourselves would go and do likewise. And how do we do likewise? Well, as parents, I realize that my school, the school that I send my kids to, or, or my church, or any place that my kids go, they're not going to have the influence that I have on my kids. Hello? Hello? How many know that Freedom Kids is not going to be able to disciple your kids the way you can? Deuteronomy was very clear in chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And here's what it said. And these words which I command you today shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently. To who? Children. Your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Why? Because, friends, you are the chief discipler of your children. Parents, you are the chief discipler of your children. Freedom cannot be responsible 
Your teachers cannot be responsible. Schools cannot be responsible. You are responsible for the beliefs that your children have. We got to teach up and raise up good Samaritans. We got to raise up a generation that, are not, that, that understand, though I don't see color. No, we see color, but we don't let it affect anything to what we do. Good Samaritan acknowledged what was there, made time, didn't look at the background, the creed, or the color, or the skin. But you know what they looked at? He looked at the need, and that need was now. That need was immediate. That need was right here. That person is half dead, and I can fix it. There are people that are walking around your job half dead spiritually, and you can fix it just by sharing what God has done in your life. Isn't that exciting? That should excite you that the Holy Spirit will use that moment to give life to people, give life to those who are lifeless. I don't know. I've never administered CPR to someone who their heart stopped. I never, never was in one of those moments. I've been in moments where the person died in the room. I've been in those moments. As a pastor, I've been in those moments. But I've never been directly involved in someone resuscitating and coming back to life again. But I would imagine, for those of you that maybe you have, I would imagine that this sense of purpose would overwhelm you. This person was dead, and now they're alive. And I had a part in that. How many would say that's probably a pretty good feeling to have, right? Can you imagine what that looks like spiritually when that person was walking dead, but now they have life abundantly? I've led, and I can't even put a number on it, so I won't, a lot of people to Jesus. Whether it's in a big room, a a stadium, a small room, or one-on-one. All of them are the same. Here it is. Compassion for people and passion for God. Those two elements will change how you approach your life. Amen? So let me say this final thought to you. Your theology, and this is a quote. I need you to hear this. Snapshot it. I'll post it later, whatever. Hear this. Your theology is not what you can recite with your mouth Your theology is how you live. It doesn't matter what you say in this room on a Sunday and how you sing it and what key it is. If the rest of the week, it doesn't match up. Are you hearing me? Got real quiet. I'm saying very specifically, it doesn't matter what you say with your mouth if the rest of the week doesn't match up. Here's my thought. What if today you decided to let the rest of the week match up with what you sang this morning? What were the titles of our song this morning? What were some of the titles of our songs? One was a break every chain. What if we lived every day saying, God, who could I talk to and break the chains in their lives? What if every single day I could raise a hallelujah in someone's life? What if every single day I live my life like where I'm standing is holy ground? Because guess what? The Holy Spirit that lives in me stills there. The Holy Spirit that I received at my conversion is still in me. 
that holy ground? What if I live my life that way? I challenge you today. Join with me in this thought. God can raise up a generation of people who have decided Good Samaritan is not a story in the scripture. Good Samaritan is the call of the church today, here and now. Passion for God and compassion for people. Amen? Come on, bow your heads all across this room. Father, thank you that you've called us to live a life that calls us to passion for you and compassion for those who cannot fend for themselves. God, I'm asking you today, may our society embrace the truth that there are no races, just souls. Souls that hang in the balance every single day and let us be about kingdom work. Lord God, I pray that, Lord God, this Good Samaritan story that paints a picture of the love of God would be very real to each of us. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus that you would allow us the opportunity to live our lives fully and wholly as a joint effort to change the world around us. May we love God, love people, and change the world because nothing on this earth matters more than following your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, I wanted to just tell you right now, I'm so proud of all that God is doing here at Freedom, and it excites me to see what God is doing. And if you are a first-timer, uh, first-time guest, you're new here, um, I want to invite you to come and shake my hand. I would love to get a chance to meet with you for, for a moment and uh, get a chance to talk with you. And so if you would, uh, stand with me, and I'm going to dismiss us together here today. And so um, let me pray one more prayer over you. Can I do that? Father, thank you for allowing me the privilege of speaking to your people. May we forever and always take this story to heart, that we may find exactly what it is you've called us to do, called us to be, and how to walk. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.